Welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Dr. Mike Pumphrey. Mike is a professor and Orville Vogel Endowed Chair of Spring Wheat Breeding and Genetics at WSU. His breeding program focuses on the development of high-yielding, high-quality, and pest and disease-resistant spring wheat varieties for diverse Washington production environments, and current releases are the most widely planted spring wheats in the Northwest. Breeding goals in his program also include herbicide-tolerant wheat varieties, high-falling numbers, and varieties with specific value-added end-use characteristics. Mike teaches courses in crop growth and development and advanced principles in plant breeding and genetics, in addition to broad involvement in WSU extension programs. Hello, Mike. Hey, Drew. So um, we want to talk a little bit about 2021. It was a, a, a odd year, Very started off fairly normal, but then a lot of heat and dry as we moved into season. And that, and that weather probably affected, well, it did affect the spring planted crops more than it did the, the winter crops. So I'm curious, how does that affect a spring wheat breeding program like yours when we have this very unusual year? What kind of information, is it good for gathering information? Is it bad or just different? Uh, I would say by and large, just bad. Um, you know, I've been receiving a lot of our yield trial data from from around the state over the past few weeks as we've finished harvest and are compiling all that data. And it's really, really hard to look at, say, four to eight bushel yield potential. And and given the variation that you get in trials when moisture is really limiting, it's, it's a problem. So our component of variation, our ability to like really tease out what's doing well and not is really magnified by soil properties and things that water usually helps kind of smooth. And so I have very poor yield data, Um, not much for pest or disease data because most of them require moisture. Um, The uh, samples aren't particularly going to be good for evaluating in-use quality because our grain has now, you know, got more damaged starch. Um, It has high protein content, which is not good for for a soft wheat. And it's even got too high a protein content for a hard wheat to really bake a a representative product. So it's just pretty much bad, bad, bad. But, you know, we do get in some locations to see what's really tough, what maintains test weight, what, you know, can hold up at the top of the pack for yield, even though the yield is maybe only 40 or 50% of what we want. Okay. So, um, so what do you got? What are you going to do with the data, I guess? Are you just going to throw it all out or are you going to be able to uh, throw it in with the average? Last year was a very good spring wheat yield. So when you throw it together, or you have average data or, or just what, what do you do? When yeah, you have, for uh, sure. I'll be relying on data from those lines last year more than I ever do. You know, normally I look back to verify that there's stability and quality and the disease ratings. and But I generally take the multi-location averages. 
<clears throat> excuse me, multi-location averages for yield, you know, year as they, you know, year after year as they come. And I don't do a whole lot of retrospective, you know, looking back, but this year I have no choice where we'll factor in how they performed last year, as well as whether they survived with things like test weight, plant height, um, maturity, um, you know, even yield where it's, where it's reasonably, you know, measured, I guess. Um, and so kind of use both years. Okay. Um, does a year like this change your thinking about how you um, put out your program, the lo maybe locations or timing or whether it's no-till or tilled or what? what I, I guess I'm trying to get at uh, or do you just throw it out as a, uh, a abnormal, abnormal year and you hope for better next year? Well, it, it really, if anything, you know, as I mentioned earlier, when you, when you really don't have enough moisture, like we did one spring wheat this year, it tells you a lot about those sites and how much inherent variability is. So there are sites that I'm probably not going to go back to because if we do have a dry year, the data is so variable that I just don't get a lot from it. Um, now sites that even if they're low in terms of rain, but the, but the site is uniform, mm -hmm. then that's better. Um, unfortunately, you know, we really like to test in no-till and conventional till conditions. I can tell you that my um, reduced or no-till fields this year had much more variability in yield. Um, mm. You know, and I think that's a function of how moisture gets wicked away sometimes with, with that extra straw and residue plus, um, you know, uh, maybe a little bit slower uh, establishment and germination in the spring because of the temperature being a few degrees cooler, um, you know, okay. compared to neighboring fields. But but we're not going to do any wholesale changes. The primary function is we try to have trials in the right areas of the state that are representative of the production systems as well as the geographies where spring wheat's grown. So it's not like I'm just going to quit planting in the dry land country because um, spring wheat can be an important rotation crop out in the low rainfall areas or rescue crop or winter kill, you know, crop or whatever it may be. So we're not, we're not going to have any wholesale changes. Okay. Um, one of the things mentioned in your introduction was um, uh, working on varieties with specific value and added end use characteristics. Can you talk about any of those and, and where those might be in, in your breeding program? Yeah, we've, I mean, we've released a few, um, you know, everything. Uh, we strive to have really high quality that really sets a benchmark for in-use, you know, acceptance by both millers and bakers. But, um, you know, we've had um, varieties released, including like Ryan, which is our number one soft white spring wheat in the state and one of the top wheat varieties in the entire Northwest. It's got really um, exceptional um, noodle qualities, which has taken interest. There's already specific um you know, contracts to source that seed and take it for noodle production. Um, we have um, new grant research, just got a recent, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture grant focused on um, micronutrient concentration and hard um, spring wheats. And so looking at basically whole grain spring, spring wheat, um, um, nutritional content, biofortification, things like iron and zinc to uh, pair that with the right functional properties of the, of the flour or of the dough so that you can have a high quality, more nutritious whole grain product. So we, I mean, there, there's a lot of the basic research going along with that to build that, but it also, it's already where we're measuring it in, in advanced germplasm and, and actually having that as a breeding target that we didn't used to have. Um, we also, um, you know, look at 
things like the presence of excess heavy metals, um, things like cadmium are, are not good. And so, you know, arsenic, um, you might hear stories about rice, and baby food or grains. Um, those are traits that we've started paying more and more attention to, to, to select variation that's keeping us on the lower end of what wheat will accumulate for those heavy metals so that it's, it's, uh, you know, better for your brain and, uh, and, uh, you know, holds up in, in, in all the things a farmer needs. Okay. Well, another um, area you do work on and that has particular interest to me is herbicide tolerant wheat. Can you talk any about that? Well, we we've released now um, two gene clearfield spring club wheat uh, that's named Head Seal Plus that was um, on seed increase the past two years and will be commercially available looking in 2022. Um, we released Net Seal Plus, which is a two gene clearfield hard red spring wheat that's actually been right at the top of the pack for yield and um, you know broad adaptation among all hard red spring wheats, not just clearfield type. Um, they really held up well this year. It's it's been in the few trials we have decent data in 2021. It's been right at the, the very top. Um, so th- that's the first, um, you know, sort of lines out of the gate. We, we have three, um, two gene clear filled soft white spring wheats and really good genetic backgrounds that perform very well statewide in variety testing this year, uh, even given the conditions, but have done well in the breeding programs in previous years. So we should be filling, you know, that um, rotation option as well. Um, and then looking forward, we're at the point with the, the coaxium system that we have, uh, really advanced back cross lines. And in spring wheat, we have to have three genes, all three alleles for, for the, the coaxium trait fixed in the germplasm. So we've introgressed those, um, aggressively into some of our most elite genetic backgrounds. And there you're still talking about two to three years out, but, but those, those are coming down the pipeline very fast. Okay. Good. Good to hear that. With the Clearfield uh, spring wheats, is that more for a rotational benefit or are people actually spraying uh, beyond herbicide in those? It's it's mainly for the rotational benefit. And, and we see it just simply by planting them in yield trials that, you know, have a history of either, um, you know, a lot of pulse crop production where they use pursuit year in and year out or um, coming into fields that have been in winter wheat, clear field production. You basically just see it as a bump in yield by, say, 5 to 20%, depending on, on the location or year. Okay. So, um, in hindsight, 2021 did not, uh, wasn't good for farmers and it wasn't very good for a spring wheat breeding program. Um, but, but, uh, we hope that maybe it's just a blip and we don't have to deal with it. What happens if, if, uh, this is a precursor to, uh, a future of, I think climate change suggests that our summers are going to become warmer and drier. What what are, are you doing anything in the breeding program to try to look for spring wheats that will perform better than that? I guess maybe you could plant them if if our winters are also warmer and wetter, you could plant them earlier, I suppose. So that that has been a, a sort of natural progression in the northern plains over the past few decades, and that there's you know that you can read peer reviewed literature to date that says part of our increases in spring wheat yields has been actually warmer marches, <laughs> planting in Montana or North Dakota a little earlier than. than 
than average. Um, but, you know, we're, we are thinking about these traits long term. You know, we've got research with all the high throughput phenotyping, looking at stress tolerance with drones and, and special imaging to, to measure water status and water relations as well as biomass. So those are like selection goals. We also do work more and more on fall seeded or facultative spring wheat, which, you know, if we're going to be, you know, more mild than, um, you know, it's, it's pretty rare. We can plan a spring wheat trial and it's pretty rare that I kill one anywhere in the southern part of the state. So for this, you know, one bright shining example in 2021 was our fall seeded spring wheat trials at um, Moses Lake in Pasco yielded 160 bushels plus. Uh, best trials I had, very uniform, great yield data. Um, that's because they were irrigated and, and we could control that water part. And um, because they matured earlier than the spring wheat would, given the heat that we got in, in June and July, um, they escaped a lot of that. So they were absolutely beautiful trials. So that's another kind of long-term vision for adapting, you know, the wheat systems. And then I would say the, the third is maturity per se. And, you know, it's been a big, um, focus of mine since I started here now, you know, my 12th crop in 2021, um, to, get our maturities earlier and earlier while not sacrificing on yield. And and I do that because it, um, you know, farmers basically want it everywhere so that their harvest timing's more synchronous. They don't want to give up yield to get there, but we generally can see higher test weight because it's, it's finishing earlier at a less stressful time. Um, harvest, you know, and labor, uh, you know, um, operations on the farm can be tightened up instead of waiting on spring wheat to finally mature. Um, and so, you know, we can, Continue, and that's you know something like Ryan is earlier than any of the spring wheats we'd released through WSU over the past couple decades. It's taken over because it didn't give up anything on yield. It's earlier. It's 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 more what a farmer wants. And I think that earliness, if if you look around the world in hotter, drier climates, you have to have that ability to escape. Um, you know, wheat's wheat's not going to stop being a cool season. You know, C three grass. We have to you know make it more in tune with the environment. Okay. So farming is going to remain challenging. We're going to have variation, but a lot of exciting things going on in the wheat breeding program to help us try to address those things. Yeah, I haven't gotten bored yet. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Drew. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications and the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.